Hello, everyone, and welcome in. This is now the 17th and final episode of the 2020 football season for Bald, Bold, and Gold. I just want to thank you all. If you're listening to this episode, that means you probably listened to some previous ones as well. I just want to thank all of you for that. Uh, we will not be done after this season. We have plenty more coming in the future. As always, I'll be joined by Ian and Tom today. Uh, we'll discuss the Rose Bowl, what Notre Dame needs to do as a program, as you know, obviously they're a little bit left behind. But we don't talk too much about the future because we have a lot planned for stuff doing to do in the off season. You know, I think. Uh, We'd get bored if we didn't get to talk Notre Dame football every week. So, also talk about around the country and give our pick for the national championship. So, all right, let's get started. January 6th and the Fighting Irish season is over. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about, about not just Alabama, but, you know, the Irish program in general. We'll get to that this episode and in the future. We're not going to leave you guys. But first, as always, I think we need to discuss what went around the country. I think my main takeaway from the Bulls season, the New Year Six game, there wasn't another fourth best team besides the Irish that deserved it. You know, just looking around at all the other games, there wasn't a team that shocked me out there. No, absolutely not. I think uh, Cincinnati could have had a good case if they kept playing like they did, but they absolutely collapsed. Um, A&M was kind of the same team that we've seen them be all year. They, Yeah, I understand they only had one loss, but they played Carolina like they played a lot of teams where they just kind of played down to the competition, and they never showed, showed us anything special. They definitely didn't deserve to be in. Good for you, Georgia, for for squeaking away a win. Uh, Florida got blown out. Oklahoma had two losses, so I think we were clearly the, uh, the 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 fourth team, fourth best team. And I maybe a, a hot top, a hot take, but I think we played up to that bailing on Saturday, despite the score. Yeah, I'd say Notre Dame was for sure the be- the fourth best team in the country. Um, uh, I was. Uh, I think that I think that with the uh, fully healthy and, and no opt-outs, that if that's a regular season game, North Carolina probably beats Texas A&M. Um, to be out out with your top two running backs, um, your starting middle linebacker, and a, and a pretty important wide receiver um, in Deami Brown. Um, I know Daz Newsom played, but and Sam Howell played, but I just think there's a lot of talent and a lot of production missing um, from from UNC that certainly would have helped them in that game. And, you know, I think, I think, like, I think they, they played a really good game except for like the last five minutes. I think they just kind of ran it, ran, just kind of ran out of gas. So, um, 
yeah, I, I certainly don't think Texas A&M belonged. Um, you know, uh, Cincinnati implosion probably kills their case. Uh, Oklahoma looked good, um, but I think that may be more of a reflection on, on Florida just losing their last three games. Um, yeah, I don't think that anybody else should have had should have had the fourth spot. But what I will want you to prepare for is the talk of certain teams being back in the Big Twelve. Uh, <laughs> one of them being o- Oklahoma is back, Texas is back, and Georgia might even be back. So just a heads up for those excited about the 2021 season. Um, I could see some inflation in, in some preseason rankings for those teams. All right, but Texas, I'm kind of here for the hype, like with the Sark hire. I mean, they're just a sleeping giant, and Sark has been a good head coach before. He's obviously had his issues, and he's a ridiculously good offensive coach. So I, I'm, I'm not going to completely hop on board, but I'm not going to automatically roll my eyes. Because they had that backup QB that, pl- that came in and played very well. What's his name? Co- Corey Cody? What is it? Something, but he he looked like a stud. Like I think his rating, his pass rating was higher than Ellinger's in that game. Um, you know, I think the Big Twelve will get a lot of hype going into next year. I think just because I don't think Iowa State loses much. Brock Purdy comes back. Yeah, like this is another situation where one I don't think with three losses they deserve to be in the Fiesta Bowl, but they did look good against an Oregon team, which you know kind of like the rest of the Pac twelve. Did not look good in bowl season. Like Iowa State could be good, but you know it's the same thing with all these Big Twelve teams. How do you avoid dropping a game to Kansas State or the Texas Techs of the world? It seems like they do it every year, and it just takes them out of contention. Even though they have these elite offenses, or in Iowa State's case, just really well coached all around, you know they have to avoid those landmines on the Big Twelve schedule. Yeah, I think the Big Twelve will be better next year. It's it was uh the. It was Casey Thompson who came in for Sam Ellinger, and he looked really good. And I think B. John Robinson is really, really good. Like, um, if you're looking for somebody who would have longer odds um, to get to, to come home with some hardware, um, I think B. John Robinson should definitely be on your list. And I think that Spencer Radler would be another year older at Oklahoma, and Matt Campbell stays around with uh, Brock Purdy to Iowa State. Like, I do think the Big 12 will have some competitive teams floating in the top 10, top 15 uh, range for sure. Yeah, Iowa State kept their big three in Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, and almost surprisingly as of now, Matt Campbell. So they're going to be, I think, I don't know if they're going to be the sixth best team in the country again or the sixth ranked team in the country, but I don't think they're going to be um, anybody to overlook in the Big 12 next year. Yeah, and further than that, the SEC I think looking forward to them. I think, you know, it's still Bama at the top. Florida, Trask is gone. And it's still, you know, maybe Georgia. Obviously, they're so talented. You know, I wasn't super. I know Georgia won in Cincinnati. was a really solid team. But JT Daniels, you know, he got a lot of hype, even though he was kind of out of the national spotlight over the last few weeks. I wasn't super impressed by Georgia either. No, but I, I could see them. I, I agree. I agree that that game, I think they were probably better than the score indicated against Cincinnati. He just didn't play very well. Um, but I think that JT Daniels with a full set of, with a full off season um, and, and starting from, and starting from the jump could really benefit. Um, the defense will be 
defense will be a lot a lot better too, and you're not really losing much on the offensive side of the ball. So I could see Georgia. In my opinion, I think that Georgia takes back the East. I'm not. I don't. I don't know if they're going to be able to compete for the championship, like in a, in a serious matter. But I would at least say that they're going to have a good shot at taking back the East. I would agree with that. They got a lot better once JT Daniels got under center, and I hate saying it because I hate that kid so much. He's so annoying. But they were they were so much better with um, him under there rather than Stetson Bennett. Um, and if he has a full offseason, because his whole injury thing, why he wasn't playing from the jump was just kind of weird. So I think there was a lot behind the scenes that we didn't know about, and now he, he's committed. He's, he's kind of got some momentum going into next season. So I think, Slev, you mentioned long shots to take home some hardware. I don't know if he's a long shot, but I would I think he's definitely going to be in the Heisman conversation. Uh, I just had it up. Yeah, those uh, he definitely will be, and I think that we should one more game before we get to this year's Heisman. I think who who had any who had any big opinions on uh, uh Ohio State and Clemson? Dude, I was shocked. I was absolutely yeah. shocked at that happening. I still think Skalski's ejection is. I know they are putting up points on him before he got ejected, but that's just like Clemson's defense without him was up like a fragment of themselves. So him going out, abandoned any hope of a comeback. Trevor Lawrence was not himself. Um, and maybe we were just sleeping on the Big Ten because Northwestern looked pretty good against Auburn. And and we all thought Ohio State was bad because of the way they looked against Northwestern. But Ohio State came out swinging. My God, Justin Fields' deep ball is wet. I mean, it helps when you're fresh and you've been playing every other week for basically the entire year, and you know half those games are against, you know, the Joe Maryland's and Illinois of the world. I think actually both those games got canceled for Ohio State, but the point remains they were much fresher. And my biggest thing is, it goes to show how much having elite skill talent on the outside helps in today's game. Like Ohio State had Olave and Wilson, and they just destroyed Clemson's secondary. Clemson's secondary wasn't – I wouldn't say there's any really elite players back there to match up with them, and they got exposed. Alabama's a different story. And I think, you know, it helps Fields when you have those guys there. And Justin Fields, like, I'll give him credit. I've been kind of down on him all year. Like, I didn't think he was close to, you know, playing, like, the number two pick. He was a baller. Like, that – I think it was that last touchdown pass maybe – where he had Olave for like 60-something yards. That ball traveled 50-something yards in the air, just on a dime. In a bucket. Yep. And you know, that was super impressive. He was tough, too. Like, that hit from Skalski obviously, like, hurt his ribs. You know, and Clemson, I, I was more surprised that they couldn't keep pace on offense. You know, I didn't think OS, Ohio State's defense was that good. You know, Indiana put up more points on them than Clemson did, and I think – Trevor Lawrence and ETN and Clemson's receivers, you know, I think they're more skilled. It was just, you know, Ohio State's defense was just that much faster, that much more athletic than they were. I think Justin Hilliard for Ohio State played a hell of a game. I'll give him a shout out. He's definitely not listening, but uh, nice to see him do it because he's he's Dr. Crawford's age and he's basically went through the same situation with injuries. But I mean, it's the same thing. Like Ohio State had elite athletes to match up with Clemson and. Lawrence was just off, and you can't have him off when Justin Fields on, is on the other side and he's on. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, especially up front, I think I think 
the reason that Clemson wasn't able to compete offensively was because they finally saw a an elite D line. Like I think that for a lot of the season, and this kind of reflects a little bit on on what Notre Dame actually was up front too. Like Clemson's offensive line is not the offensive line that they've had in the past, um, and Notre Dame gave them a little trouble in the first game. Clearly, couldn't give them any trouble in the second game. And Ohio State gave them all the trouble uh, in in the semifinal game. The Ohio State defensive line, front seven, played outstanding. I think it was a really big reason why Clemson's offense kind of kind of was stagnant and couldn't do anything. Travis Etienne couldn't get anything going on the on the ground. I still think the Trevor Lawrence threw over for, for over four hundred yards, but it, it it didn't look like a good four hundred yards. Yeah. Uh, at all, and and you're right. If the, there's any the, such thing as a as a bad 400 yards, that was it. Yeah, and then and then the talent on the outside too, like having a, a really gritty performance from from Justin Fields uh, and, and some really good receiver talent, Chris Olave and guys like that. Um, but also on the other side of the ball too, the line of scrimmage uh, on the line of scrimmage, like Ohio State, especially the last few weeks, has really been able to run the ball. Trey Sermon has looked really really good, and I think that's taken a lot of pressure off. Uh, Justin Fields and kind of opened him up to, to throw six touchdowns in the game because everybody kind of had to give some attention to Trey Sermon rather than just focusing on the, focusing on the pass game. So I think that has something to do with it as well. Brennan, Brennan Smith, shout out Brennan. We had him on the pod a couple weeks ago. He mentioned it though. Like Trevor was putting the ball on the deck. I don't know yeah. what that was about. I mean, it was greased balls or something because Trevor did, had no intention of holding on to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was weird seeing, you know, how well he played the, the two weeks before against us. Like, the dude was – played almost like a perfect game. He couldn't get anything really going on the ground against Ohio State. He did that the previous year. That's where he really hurt them there. I think you also saw a little bit of the revenge factor from Ohio State. I know they felt slighted by the refs in that uh, 2019 playoff game. And, you know, I think they came out more motivated – throughout the game and I don't know it was very impressive it's hard to beat a Clemson team with that much talent by that much you have to be special like you know Joe Burrow type team and that was Ohio State I think it'll be interesting we'll get to this later but the matchup against Alabama just got a lot more interesting all right should we talk about uh you know we've touched on Elite skill on the outside. We got to see that firsthand with the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith. I think he was the best college football player. I didn't think we, they would actually give it to him three weeks ago, but, I mean, the more hype he got, it almost became inevitable that he would be the winner. Yeah, I think it was – it's a very unpopular opinion to vote for a wide receiver. So once there was a little bit of hype, writers started feeling themselves a little bit that they would – they weren't going to be crazy if they did it. And then once it actually became like a acceptable pick, it was the obvious pick. What I think is interesting is he doesn't win the Heisman, Devontae Smith, if Jalen Waddle never gets hurt. Bama would spread that ball around a lot more and his numbers would look a lot more diluted than they were. Jalen Waddle, like, there's, there's talk that he might play in this national championship game. He is, like... Almost just as good as Devontae Smith, the highest one. Yeah, I think he's actually like rated higher in terms of NFL draft potential than Devontae Smith, just because I think he's a little faster, probably not as crisp in his routes or as good as hands, but you know, NFL loves speed. He could be like a Tyreek Hill kind of guy. I mean, I think you know we saw Trask fall off at the end of the year. Everyone knew that you know Mac Jones what just wasn't that talented, and then 
I guess it was just, oh, Trevor Lawrence just didn't play enough games. So, yeah, I, I also think that um, Ian, to, Ian, to your point, like Jalen Waddle going out certainly helps Devonta Smith's case um, in, in more ways than one. Outside of him not even, you know, outside of them having split touch, split touches, or the fact that Jalen Waddle gets more gets more catches. Um, and that takes away from Devonta Smith. Like Jalen Waddle was also the punt returner, and Jalen Waddle was also the kick returner. So now you kind of lose the special team aspect of it, and that's kind of why Des why Desmond Howard was had such a good case when he won it um, was because he also played he also played more than just receiver. Um, so that was uh, I thought that was very beneficial for Devonta Smith. But congratulations to him. I thought he was for sure the best player in college football, and I have no problem with him winning. I think it was I think it was well deserved. How about, uh, Slev, you mentioned it. Our number 12 got five first-place votes. Yeah, I think, yeah. I couldn't believe it. He got more first-place votes than Kyle Pitts. That's nice. And Zach Wilson. I mean, no, yeah. Zach, yeah, yeah. Zach Wilson had more I mean, points, but. Yeah. Someone let Retro Sports Guy get his hands on a couple of Heisman ballots, I think. Yeah. So. I think so, too. I mean, I like Ian Book. Like we we said it when we were kind of jokingly discussing this. Like, yeah, like he should be in the conversation. I think where he finished ninth was fair. You can't look at Ian Book and think, yeah, that's the best college football player in the country. I don't know. He was never his ceiling. His ceiling was finishing fifth or sixth, and it would have taken a Herculean effort in the ACC championship game. Uh, he was never, never on schedule to be a finalist, in my opinion. Who, and that's okay. Hypo- that's okay. But yeah, for sure. Who's your a little a little hypothetical for you guys? It's the Heisman. It's great that Devontae Smith won it because it's recognizing probably the best player in college football. And you know, like there's an argument made that Chase Young was the the best player in college football last year, but never was he going to win it. What year do you think Devontae would have won it when a quarterback did win it? Because I don't think he's beaten out Joe Burrow last year. How far back do you have to go that Devontae Smith would beat out a quarterback? I think when you're looking at years where there has been non-quarterbacks be close, I think you have to look to 2012 when Manti was there and he came in second, fairly close behind Johnny Football. I mean, and it's it's kind of weird to look how much the game has changed since then in terms of vertical passing attack. Like, you know, I think everyone agreed that, you know, having that, receiver out there was the reason Alabama's passing attack was so good it wasn't necessarily the quarterback and yeah Johnny made a lot of plays and it's completely hypothetical but I think that is a year where we had a weaker Heisman year I think also the year Derrick Henry won it 2015 uh one's not a quarterback winning but other than that the quarterbacks have that have won it have pretty much put up some banana stats you look at RG3 you know all the Oklahoma guys I think you have to look back to, you know, 2012 or the, I guess, 2015 Derrick Henry won it. Yeah, 2015 Derrick Henry won it. Yeah, around there maybe. What do you think? I'm looking now. Uh, I'm looking now. Everybody, all the quarterbacks who won it received at least 2,100 votes. Um, Joe Burrow received 2,600 votes, first place votes, which is just – or I'm sorry. they No, I'm sorry. They 2,600 – Joe Burrow had 2,600 points. All the quarterbacks who have won it in recent history had at least 2,100 points, and Devonta Smith only finished with 1,856. Um, he actually would have beat out Derrick Henry, which is interesting. I think that the only case to be made is probably 2012 with Johnny Menzel, um, 
2011 with Robert Griffin. Like, you'd have to go back prior. Jameis Winston won in 2013, maybe. But, yeah, it'd have to be either Derrick Henry's year or, or 2012 or earlier. Uh, but that's a good question, Ian. It definitely made me think for a sec there. Side note, I just typed in Heisman winners into Google, and it has everybody's year and photo next to it. And it's a great photo for everybody, but Johnny Manziel's is his mugshot. He <laughs> got done dirty in this. Everybody else, it's a great photo, and then Johnny Menzel is looking unhappy after one of his many arrests. Shirt, shirt and tie roster picks, and then we got his. I mean, the thing about Devontae is that he was so great because, I mean, let's think about this. Alabama, and I guess we'll slowly transition into this here, but Alabama, you have Devontae Smith that receiver you have Najee Harris we got to see him on full display in the open field which he impressed me I had no clue he could do that I'm talking about the hurdle over McLeod and you have Mac Jones who while not physically impressive like he just knows what to do with the ball and then their offensive line won the Joe Moore award probably over Notre Dame who came in second for the best offensive line in the country I mean that is an all-time historic offense that the Irish went against. And John uh, Mechie. Last Friday. And John, and John Mechie. Mechie. And, and their tight end's good. Yeah, their tight end's very good. Held him to 31 points, which was great. I just want to – Don, I think it's a great point. Just the way that Notre Dame played. Like, Devontae Smith has – he had so much – we just played so scared against not only him but the whole offense. Um the whole Nick McLeod thing. Nick McLeod got hurdled on a 70-yard <laughs> run, just clear hurdled. Goes to Instagram saying, thank you, I'm declaring for the NFL draft. It's so <laughs> funny. And he got turned around by Devontae like, in the open field like four different times. And he's like, thank you, I'm declaring for the NFL draft. Which is just funny to see in the way that like everybody's free actually of eligibility gives them the opportunity to declare that they're not going to use it which is just funny, but it also speaks to how damn good that Alabama offense was, that we had we have multiple NFL guys in that defense, and for a while there, we were made to look silly. Yeah, I mean, they came out of the gates and just punched us in the throat. <laughs> I, uh, I was just, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was a tough opening for sure. I was really proud of that first scoring drive to Notre Dame, like, um, that was that was kind of what the offense has been all year. It took a second to it took a few few minutes to get into it, but um, that was a hell of a drive, um, and, and they looked really good um, on that drive. Um, so that was me saying something nice about Notre Dame. But um, I think Alabama's Alabama was just was just that much better, uh, unfortunately. Um, and I think that we're this is something we'll talk about later in the podcast, and something that we'll talk about in the future for sure. Um, but the the talent gap has ne- had never been more evident to me or has it been more evident to me since 2012. So, uh, I, I disagree a little, I think actually, I think we matched up in the trenches a lot, like exponentially better than we did in 2012. Yes, they were not, that's, that's a fact tossing that's us fact. around and we were getting, we were getting, we got pressure on Mac Jones, like yeah. a Dude, fair he, bit he of the time. A great like, play early on when he rolled over his, He's sitting there, he rolled over his right shoulder and then threw on the run to, to talk. Like, he made a couple great plays mm-hmm. that I just didn't know he had in his bag. Because he, 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 like he hasn't needed him. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't needed true. him. 
you know, we weren't overmatched, I guess, physically inside. And that was a big thing, like, in 2012 when, you know, they were able to just shove us around and Eddie Lacy just made us his bitch. It was, you know, it, I, I agree, there is the talent gap. And it's on the outside, you know, when you have Nick McLeod trying to tackle Najee Harris in the open field and, you know, Sean Crawford and God love him, you know. He, that guy is not guarding Alabama's set of receivers that they had out there. And I, I think it was, we saw Florida do this to Alabama. The way you can actually somewhat keep up with them, which I don't know if anyone in the country can keep up with that offense, is through explosive plays. And Notre Dame just didn't have that this year. You know, Skronik, McKinley, those guys aren't going to beat you vertically. The running backs, yeah, I think no, our first scoring drive, we saw Chris Tyree, you know, have a huge play for us to get us in position. You know, we are missing those explosive players. Like Alabama's first few drives, I think their longest, like most amount of plays was like seven plays. And we had to go, they made us go 14, 15, earn it, which, you know, we can do that against the Boston Colleges of the world and pits where we know we can get stops on defense. You know, it's it's just kind of tough when you know the other team is probably going to, you know, put six points up in six plays or less on you. Yeah, let me yeah, let me I, clarify. I, let me clarify real quick. I I agree with what you guys said. Like I didn't. I thought that uh, Notre Dame held held their own on up front a lot better than they did in twenty twelve. But when I said the lack the talent gap, I certainly meant it. If as if it, as if the game was played seven on seven, uh, that's kind of where the that's kind of where the where it showed where it shined most bright. Um, in my opinion. So, uh, but like, but serious kudos to the ND offensive line. I thought they played pretty well. Um, and, uh, Zeke Corral filling in for Jared Patterson. Yeah. Um, that kind of seemed that, that was something that kind of put, put me at rest, put me at ease a little bit, um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with, with, with what you guys said on that. There's no, there's no denying our fight for sure. But the announcers the whole game were just talking about how Notre Dame, like, we're down, like, 28-7. They're talking about how, like, yep, Notre Dame just wants to milk some clock, milk some clock. And, like, Alabama took away all right we had to milk the clock. They, they That game went exactly how they wanted it to go. And they just took away our game plan and made us play a game that we couldn't and didn't want to play. Um, and that was because of the explosiveness on the outside. Both on our, our, our lack of explosiveness on our corners, but also our wide receivers were – Nowhere to be found. And I think that probably – and I, I – I, God, I said this too much. Like if a couple things went different, I think if Book doesn't throw that interception on that drive when we're down by 14 and we get a score there, it's a different game. I still think we lose, but it's 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 a little bit of a different feel of the game. But he at that point, he's just trying to make a play because – and get it to his wide receivers because none of them have made a play all game. Like McKinley had – McKinley's like – Best play, best best contribution was drawing a pass interference play on our last scoring drive to cover. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's so hard to play catch up without being able to just hit a 50, 60 yard bomb that changes the tide. Like you just can't do it. And uh, you mentioned Ian Book. I mean, let's be honest, talent gap also exists there. Love twelve, dude went undefeated at home, all time winning his QB. Y- you know, he's just he. You can't win a national championship in today's game with Ian Book as your quarterback. That's just fact of the matter. And Ian, to your point with like with the with the receivers, uh, he was trying to make a play on that on that on that interception, uh, but it was almost he doesn't make he doesn't make decisions like that. From every camera angle that they showed, it wasn't 
it wasn't there. Um, it was he wasn't open. So for him to throw the ball to me indicates that he was pretty desperate to get something going vertically because uh, that he kind of knew that was their last, you know, the, their only chance. Um, I will say one thing on the like the play calling is I don't have a huge issue with it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with the with the portion with what how many touches Kyron Williams got, um, whether that be running or or out of the backfield pass catching. What I was slightly disappointed in um, was not taking more advantage of the tight ends uh, vertically down the field. I know we said that, and I know every other analyst in college football said it, but to not really have seen any of it, I, I just that was something that was a that that was a piece that that wasn't the offense all year. I mean, maybe that's why it didn't come out on last Friday, but I it's something I definitely would have liked to have seen more of. Yeah, I think. To go on that slev, like there was also a little bit of a coaching gap. A spe- like, yeah. I, Tommy Reese just wasn't ready for that game, I don't think. And I think he's a great coach, and he's he's connects well with his players. And there's a lot, a lot to an offensive coordinator besides just play calling. But he, our offense was not prepared for that game, um, and it wasn't diverse enough for that game. And we didn't have enough options and enough way to attack a defense to compete. And so I, it's a learning opportunity for him, and I think he he can really use yeah. it. That's what I was gonna say. It's not to say that he won't be ready down the road. It's just this was this was game this was game thir- thir- twelve or thirteen for him as a as an as an offensive coordinator. And I think that kind of sh- that kind of showed. And he's going against you know the greatest college football coach of yes I guess our generation, if not all time. He's getting damn close to the argument of all time. He's my all time, and he's a no defensive doubt. guy. Like Tommy Reese, you know, Nick Saban was. You know, in the game for twenty years before Tommy Reese could speak and talk and walk, like it, it's it'll take time for Tommy, and I think he is going. He's one of those people who will stick at Notre Dame for the long run unless he gets you know a ridiculous offer. I think he has a great football mind. You know, I think one thing that I hope he does going forward is, and I think he will, is you know not be married to a system, instead be married to his players and their talents. That's something I think he can improve at. Cause like you said, Tom, you know, we have, you know, our, one of our only advantages in this game is that tight ends, you know, use them in the vertical passing game. Don't just use them as crushing blockers and the drag routes across the field. You know, be more creative and find ways to get them the ball in the middle of the field and matched up against safeties and linebackers, you know, not just running across the field. I, and I think, Another okay. thing, just one more thing real quick is you have two really good running backs. It's, I would love to see more two-back sets make the defense account for Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's almost so obvious now when Tyree enters the game, we're getting in the ball. Like, if you have both those guys out there, you know, you have another threat because both of them can catch the ball really well. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that – I will say that Tommy Reese on the whole for the whole season played to his strengths. Um where he played to pound, you know, he played to having an incredible offensive line and having a talented running back in Kyle Williams, and getting all three of his all three of his really good tight ends on the field and Brock Wright, Tommy Tremble, and 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 Michael Mayer. Um, so on the whole, I thought he did a really good job of playing playing to his playing to his strengths, and I think he will continue to do that. Uh, like I, I, you know, I would expect him to continue to use Kyron Williams, and I think. Um, and, and hopefully use more Chris Tyree, and hopefully see a lot more two back sets. Because I think you're right; that's a really that's a really good point. I just think that in this in this game in this game he could have done better playing to his strengths in this particular like his situational strength in this game. 
he did good good job holistically on a macro level, but on a micro level in this game, I think he could play, play to his strengths a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess Brian Kelly, we can talk about his comments on the at the end, you know, like, I don't know, he got a lot of heat in the national media, and I, I think I they kind a, of took it out of context Brian a bit. Angry, though. A little feisty Brian Kelly. He gets so upset. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame was the clear fourth best team that doesn't mean, you know, they got beaten solidly by maybe the most talented offense of all time. You know, I guess LSU last year might have a question, but this Alabama O-line I think is certainly better. Um, I mean, yeah, you lose to an all-time great team. That doesn't mean you didn't deserve to be there. You weren't the fourth best team in the country. It just means, yeah, there's a gap. Like, Yeah, I think in the past – when we get blown out in games like this, we weren't ready. We're talking, we're talking about Alabama 2012, Ohio State after that, um, maybe LSU before that. But we, like Clemson, t- three years ago, two years ago, two years ago, two years ago, and Alabama this year, we ran into some historically great teams. Like Bama got crushed by Clemson in 2018. I think, we'll get into it later, I think Bama is going to roll Ohio State as well. We ran into some historically great teams. It's unfortunate, and, I, and it's unfortunate that we were in that position. Nobody else would have done better than us. That being said, we didn't even flirt with making this a game. Yeah, that was. I think that was kind of. So I, I really I, like when I first heard it. I really liked what Kelly said. He's you know about how when they you know we're gonna keep working at it, and when we do figure it out, yeah, you know, I'm gonna be. I'm going to be awful to deal with in press conferences. And that was like, I laughed. I thought that was funny. I, 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 I like the confidence. I, I, I hope he's right. Uh, but I've had some time to sit on it and think about it. And to me, it was a very fair, it was a very fair question for him to, to for, I think Pete Sampson asked the question that, that got this response. Uh, I thought it was a very fair question from Pete. Um, and, it's a, and it's a tough one to answer that if not now, then when? Uh, you got to start taking steps in the right direction. And, and to, to, to the point that Ian just made is for, to me on, on November 7th, Notre Dame played to win a big game. Um, and January, January 1st came around and they, they played not to get blown out with that said though, you cannot not factor in what Clemson was in November and what this Alabama team is historically like, you probably had a much, much better chance to win the Clemson game than you did the, the Alabama game because this Alabama team's a buzzsaw. But I think that we, all Notre Dame fans can agree, we're proud of the effort, we're proud of the season, but it didn't seem, no, no there was there was very little indication that they came in to, to try and win this game. And I'm not saying nobody tried because that's not the case, but it, it, it just... It seems like there there could there could have been some more obvious steps taken. Yeah. To to show that you belonged. Yeah. So I've been I've been Brian Kelly's biggest defender throughout my entire time at Notre Dame, and I think it's pretty obvious, in that he's turned us into a top four program in the country in the last three years. And I think he's done an incredible job in the last three years, and if you look at all the numbers advanced analytics, and then also just wins and losses, we are one of the best teams in the nation behind Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, and Ryan Day Urban, at Ohio State. 
And Urban Meyer, Ryan Day slash. Yeah. So this is so this is where I'm going with this. I've been getting hounded by a lot of my friends, left, right, and center, all over the place. That I think is kind of naive. They're like, "Can you? Do you think we could ever win a national championship, with Brian Kelly?" Like I'm like, "Okay, well, first of all, who are you gonna get?" They're like, "Urban Meyer." I'm like, "All right, sure, uh, sure, yeah. Urban Meyer's a great coach." Either way, say Urban Meyer comes in, he's still dealing with the same recruiting challenges that Brian Kelly is dealing with. Like that, those those challenges are still there, and that's where the lack of explosiveness on the outside really comes from. We still have academic and other standards that those coaches are held to, and that's not going to go away if we bring in another coach. And I think Brian Kelly has done a really good job of maximizing our football potential while also adhering to those standards. I think that I heard, I was on the Cover 3 podcast, they were kind of talking about the iterations of Brian Kelly. And you have like Brian Kelly 1.0 at Notre Dame, which was take us to the 2012 National Championship. And um, since 2012 National Championship, kind of get blown out, kind of look shell-shocked. 2.0 was hot, you know, making not the best coaching decisions. You hire Brian Van Gorder and, you know, you lose some big games in there, uh, get blown out in the Fiesta Bowl. And then, 3.0 Brian Kelly is the one that kind of blew it all up and made made the right hires and changed things for the better. And I think we're kind of on 3.0 Brian Kelly. And 3.0 Brian Kelly is a really is doing a really really good job. I agree completely. He's taking Notre Dame to a top four program, um, but but eventually, and I, I think you can win a, a a national championship with Brian Kelly. And the the recruiting challenges are important. I think it's something that like I. I sometimes let myself forget that like Notre Dame's an academic school in the middle uh, in the middle of northern, northern Indiana. It's not a destination. It's it's challenging. I think sometimes that that slips my mind. Um, but eventually I'm gonna. I'm not saying he should go anywhere. I think he should stay. But I'd love to see him find version 4.0, where he approaches this slightly differently, and doesn't let that be a challenge anymore. Not that they're not challenges, but he just takes a different approach to the challenges and starts landing more five stars. I mean, yeah, I think he just needs to be as aggressive as possible. Like, yeah, this is just a small like. For example, Notre Dame needs the stars to align. You need that 2012, 2018, 2020 defense, which I think those defenses, I think those defense were were better than what Alabama or Iowa State's going to put on the field next Monday. You need one of those defense and then say, you know, the 2015 offensive skill players, you need a Will Fuller. The offensive line, you know, that 2015 might have been the best. I think any offensive line that we've put out there most years is probably good enough to win a national championship. It's, you know, not being aggressive enough. I think when he's like recruiting, you said you have to just go for those five stars. Like if you miss, you have to go for it. Like recruiting the quarterback position, one thing we've done recently is like, all right, we'll take a guy, then the next year we'll recruit someone who will definitely stay as his backup. That's not what Clemson, Ohio State are doing. They're going five-star, five-star, five-star. That way the best guy just rises to the top because that way if you miss, you're fucked. Then you're stuck with some three-star there, which you also, you know, you kind you also of happened to us. Who is going to turn out as the best quarterback? You would have asked me three years ago, and I would have said Ian Book would maybe get three snaps his Notre Dame career. You don't know, think Ian Book would have stayed at Notre Dame, honestly. Yeah, right. And so you never know how it's going to turn out. Why get a guy that's for sure going to stay if he is like that? That just doesn't make sense at all, D. I'm right. I, I don't even know if that necessarily is their 
all the time that's their mentality. I think that a lot of times like, oh, the right guy. But the right guy, like, there's a lot of guys that could do well at Notre Dame, but they don't give a lot of guys that chance. Yeah, I mean, quarterbacks a position more so than you know, see some of the skill guys where they're coming from. Schools that are more similar to Notre Dame, the Catholic private schools, like yeah, you can. It's a much easier pitch for Notre Dame than you know some five star receiver that's from the deep South Alabama who knows nothing about the culture of Notre Dame. Those guys, I think the number one guy is this year coming out. I believe he's committed either Ohio State or Oklahoma. Oklahoma does this; they recruit five star number one every year. Once you get one of those guys, it becomes so much easier. I know we had this discussion a few weeks ago. You know, is Ian Book or Taj Boyd or is he or Deshaun Watson? Well, Taj Boyd, I think yeah. that's pretty obvious. That and we're answers. waiting on – That was answered. We're, uh, we're waiting on – you know, Taj Boyd, great player, like won a lot of games at Clemson. Ian Book, great player, won a lot of games at Notre Dame. You need that next-level guy. Like hopefully it's Tyler Buckner. But, you know, looking behind him on the roster, you know, we wasted two years of quarterbacks before him. Just recruiting three stars. Brendan Clark gets hurt, unsure if he'll ever play. And, uh, like, Drew Pine, like, I think he's a poor man's Ian Book. I, I like Drew off. Pine. I like I Drew Pine. He, I thought he did well. I, don't, I thought he did well. I don't necessarily want him as my starting quarterback. I like him. And I think he's I think he's going to be a very good signal, you know, signals guy. Um, but I don't necessarily – I agree. I, I hate to call him a poor man's Ian Book, but he's, he's, he's smaller. Um. But this is this is where I yeah. I want to put pump the brakes a little bit on this Buchner news. Like Buchner, he's like he once was a very highly guy. Now he's a four star, like top hundred guy, very good quarterback. But like there is no saying that he's going to come in and be automatically great. Like he didn't even play. He, he he lost a year of high school football, and he transferred the year before that because the competition he was playing was garbage. So I mean, like he just. He's not going to be – I don't think he's a surefire hit either. You know, he's not He's not a Justin Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Spencer, Spencer Rattler. Like, he's just not. Yeah, and I, I if, it's, if, if it's good with everybody, I think that we have a lot more to say on Notre Dame as a whole reflectively about the 2020 season and, and what we're looking for in 2021. I think we should come back to that. But I think now that we're on Buckner, I think it's, it might be a good idea to mention to move to that Jack Cohen news. Because I think that'll play in nicely if that's good with everybody. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, go ahead, I, D. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I can start off here. I mean, I don't hate the move. I mean, he's a guy that's not going to blow up the QB room. He gets the culture of Notre Dame, was committed here uh, way back when. We can have Tom review his uh, lax highlights from probably like the early 2010s. They're good. I'll, I'll tell you they're good. They're good? Good to hear. So, I mean – Honestly, I'm surprised about that, that he was a last commit because just watching him in football, he doesn't seem that athletic, if that makes sense. What's, he's a little stiff. Yeah, so just like some background on him because I had the chance – I was in high school and or I was I was playing high school football and Jack Cohen was playing high school football on Long Island, and, and the kid was sensational. I just don't – Long Island's not necessarily a hotbed for talent, but nobody had really seen – talent quite like Jack Cohn. So for him to be going division one to a big time school seemed to fit, seemed to fit the bill. Um, he was like you said, D he's not going to blow up the quarterback room 
from what I remember, he's extremely quiet. Like, very uh, not big on social media, doesn't love using his phone, um, kind of really prefers, like, per, in-person deal. Like he, you know, you, you're really not going to hear much from him uh, on that end. I think he, he kind of puts his head down and goes to work, from what I understand. But also, from what I know, is that he's incredibly intelligent. He's got a great, great work ethic. So, I like, that's – I think that those are all good indicators for somebody – you'd want to bring in as a grad transfer is somebody who's not going to have an ego and somebody who, who probably just really wants to play football and thinks this is a good, a good chance for it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm personally excited. I think there's uh, the Long Island connection that kind of makes me excited about it. But for me, I, I see him. I said this to you guys earlier in the week. I see him as like a really good bridge, bridge player. Um, he, you needed somebody – don't get me wrong. I think Tyler Buckner is really good, but all the things that Ian just mentioned are important too. He played not great competition in San Diego. He then tried to transfer to a better school to play better competition in Southern California, and his season gets canceled. So he hasn't played competitive football since January, December or January of 2019. Um, so for him to for you to for – for you to kind of expect him to come in and and for sure win the number one job, I think is is slightly short sighted and a bit naive. Just because he was a highly highly tattered prospect does not necessarily mean that he needs he needs to win this job. Uh, I don't think that Brendan Clark will end up being healthy enough, um, and I'm and I don't necessarily trust Drew Pine. So I think it'll be really really good to bring in a grad transfer like Jack Cohn, who won't rock the boat, who's a really good guy for the quarterback room on the whole, um, and has proven that he's, he's pretty good. Uh, yes. Ian mentioned that he, he, he mentioned us earlier this week that his running back was Jonathan Taylor and he had a really good offensive line. Um, but we have a pretty good offensive line and I think Kyron Williams is pretty good. And Jack Cohn still threw the, threw for 18 touchdowns, only threw for five picks and threw for 2,700 yards. Again, nothing crazy, but intelligent takes care of the football. Yeah. I, I, I'm not expecting him to be a Heisman contender, but I certainly think he's a really good bridge to get Buckner a year of experience and getting Buckner up to speed. I think this is certainly a really good way to go about it. So I'm, I'm, I, you guys both know, I was less than excited about, you know, I, I, it was unclear whether we were going to be in the grad transfer market for a quarterback. And so this code news is kind of out of nowhere. And like when I heard we were getting a quarterback and then it was a former Wisconsin quarterback and it was Jack Cohen, I was less than excited just because that's necessarily not necessarily the offense I really want to watch. But you guys are both you got you talked about the ledge, you guys are definitely right. And he's definitely a bridge quarterback. I mean I mean he only has one year. I will say they haven't named him the starter yet, so there there will be a fun competition, which is good for everybody. Getting a competition in there is good for everybody. I also think he'll be very good for receiver development because we're going to be young on the outside if we see Kevin Austin and we see hopefully Jordan Johnson or Joe Wilkins or whoever it is. We're going to be young at receiver position, and I think he can do a lot for their development. But I, it was a, it was a, a stark reminder that we are not going to be as good next year, and it's a transition year, and it's like you don't rebuild in college football like you do in the pros. You know, I just don't like wasting a year. And it's not, not that it's a waste at all, but it's just a reminder that we're we gotta have different expectations. I will say that you know this is fingers crossed right now. I won't call it a wasted year because it hopefully if all goes right in the world, uh, 
that we will be back attending Notre Dame football games with a packed house, tailgating in the parking lot. That won't be a lost year for me and for probably everyone listening to this podcast. So I I think Jack Cohen will. Very winnable schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think think Notre Dame can very much win 10 games. In fact, I don't see anyone on the schedule that Notre Dame should lose to. Now, I think it'll be much harder to, you know, not slip up, you know, because we won't be as good. But, you know, like it's a like you said, it's a little bit of a transition year. I almost wish this was the year we were going for it just because, you know, we could blow through some of these opponents. But hey, it'll hopefully be a year where we can get a lot of people experience. And where we plan to, you know, give some more content in the offseason. We'll get much more depth on the depth chart, what we think it's going to look like and everything. But I think it's a favorable schedule for the roster we're bringing out there. Yeah, I'm seeing that you're only – that. You only play Notre Dame only plays four true ro- true road games next year. Um, I don't think that it's going to have necessarily the talent that we just watched play, but and I think I think people should probably temper their expectations a bit. But bringing in a bringing in a guy like Jack Cohen to lead the offense a little bit, I think will will be a very very good solution to a problem that I was I've been worried about since I think I first posed the question to you guys in October. Um, so. I, I'm very happy with it, and 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 te- temper your expectations. But I agree with D. Uh, they might not look as pretty, but ten wins very achievable for for the schedule that that's put out there right now. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, like I said, we will be putting out content not every week like we have been during the season, but we'll try to put out as much as we can. Kind of just because we enjoy talking football as much as we can, especially that was a big thing for us today because uh, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, do we want to transition to picks? Yeah, let's let's do picks. So I personally found this to be one of the funnest parts or most fun parts of the podcast that we got to do together um, was kind of getting to pick pick games every week against each other and against the spread. And that was something that was a good way to get us talking about not just Notre Dame football, but, but the college football landscape uh, on the whole. So this, this was a blast. I hope that we can continue to do this in the future. Would have been um, a little bit more fun if we uh, had some more success as a unit. Yeah, but where I think we're going to. I think we I think we were all plagued by some pretty bad starts, um, if, I'm rem- if I remember correctly. I think that we started atro- atrociously. So uh, I'm going to read the records off right now, but I will say all three of us fought back valiantly um, to make this tighter. Uh, tighter than it, than it may have been originally. Um, D, you finished you finished thirty four and forty six with a win percentage of forty two and a half percent. That was a lot better than I think than I think you were come week seven or week eight. Yeah. So that was pretty bad. Kudos to you, Ian. You somehow wound up with two extra games. Uh, you finished forty forty one and one. Uh, you had one you had one push. Um, you finished with a forty eight point eight percent. Win percentage, um, very well done. Cheers to you. You you were the winner. Uh, I myself finished at thirty eight forty two with a forty seven and a half win per, uh, percentage. Uh, win percentage. Uh, this was uh, this was a lot of fun last week. By the way, we all hit on Notre Dame, um, and that was the only one. And we all lost on Clemson. Uh, we all lost on Clemson, Ohio State. Otherwise, boy, there was very boy did we lose on Clemson. Boy did we lose yeah. on Clemson. Uh, nobody else, no really big blow. D, you lost pretty bad on Oregon. Um, 
And all right, I guess you two bozos both lost big on Florida too. Uh, but other than that, kept yeah. it pretty close. Ian, I think you finished four and two last week. I finished four and two. Indeed, I think you finished three and three. I hit on Carolina at least, though, right? No, you had it. You had a yeah. You had a I lost. Like yeah, but they. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. Um, so, cheers. You, that was a. Uh, I was. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do that. Uh, congratulations to to Ian on getting the win. Uh, Ian can get to five hundred. Ian can Ian. get to five hundred. Yeah. So Ian can get to five hundred. Um, uh, I did not have. I didn't. I actually didn't pull up the spread for this game. I'll get one now. Um, I saw it opened at eight. Opened at eight. Was that without or this is this is very difficult because we're picking the game kind of far in advance, knowing that there were some COVID issues with Ohio State. Or as I see Kristen Her- or Kristen uh, Saban. Says. And yeah, Kristen Saban had some had some very strong opinions. Yeah, I see eight as well from William Hill. Let's pick it at eight. If there's like a drastic change, we can just update like we did with um, Florida. What was it? Florida. Yeah. Yeah, well, Ian. So go ahead, Ian. With, Good with news is chance, you you, you clinch up? you clinch the win. So with my chance to get to five hundred, there's no better team I'd rather like. There's no other team I'd rather <laughs> bet on than Alabama. Um, yeah. they, I I am very happy hitching my wagon on them to get me to five hundred on the year, and I think they'll do it pretty easily. I don't see. I I think we saw this Alabama offense is much better than the Clemson offense we were dealing with. Um just in terms of talent all over the field. Trevor Lawrence was an absolute beast when he played us, but there's there's just no way to stop this Alabama def- or offense. you got to make so many sacrifices that usually end up in in six points, and I think they will roll and have much more success containing Justin Fields and Ohio State's stars on the outside than Clemson did. So I'm going to take Alabama to win by probably 14. I'm going to take them to win 42-28. Eight. It's a low number. The over, so you're taking the under in at well, forty two twenty eight. What's the what's the OU? Is it like seventy six? Seventy five and a half. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I'll take the. I, I think I'm gonna take the under on that. Like, there's not enough time in the game. Sheesh. I mean, yeah, with the way these teams score, um, ah, man, my gut keeps telling me Ohio State. Like I'm seeing like parallels to, um. Was it 2014 or 2015 when they beat Alabama? But I, I just can't pick Ohio State out of principle. Also, like, yeah, they're so much, like, fresher. Like, playing six games versus playing, what is it, Alabama's played 12, 13 now? Like, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of time for people to get hurt. As we saw in, what, week seven or eight, we lost our starting center, which had a huge impact on the team. So Ohio State is fresh. Maybe Justin Fields is not as fresh. He's probably got some pretty big bruises uh, around his ribcage. Um, and might have COVID nineteen. That would be pretty dope if he did. But uh, no, I don't wish I don't wish that on him. I wish that for my gambling purposes. Because I'm picking Alabama. I think they can uh, just put up too many points. And if Jalen Waddle walks back on the field, we've seen Ohio State struggle with defending teams with elite passing attacks. With, I would call Indiana elite, but they put up elite numbers on Ohio State. Even Penn State had success putting up in the passing game against Ohio State because they have a couple guys who can go up and get the ball. Alabama has three guys that are probably better than any receiver that they faced, that Ohio State has faced all year. 
I think those guys are the difference, as they have been all year. The Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, gets another two touchdowns, 140 yards, something like that. Waddle probably acts as more as a decoy, but I think as we've seen in the past, Alabama just wins with another game manager at quarterback and elite playmakers everywhere else. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go 55-39. All right, D. The over. Um, so I, I, too, will be on Alabama. Uh, I'm, I'm A-OK, as Ian said, hitching my wagon to get me another win uh, to Nick Saban and, and the Crimson Tide. Uh, too much talent on the outside, especially if Jalen Waddle comes back. Um, the COVID issues I hear are banging up the defensive line in Ohio State. So if those guys can't play, those that was probably one of the most impressive parts of their team against Clemson. Those guys are out. That's no bueno for them. Um, and then you know I think that the only the only chance that Ohio State realistically really is going to have is if they can is if their offensive line can be dominant. And you'd need Trace Sermon to look like Ezekiel Elliott reborn, um, which is not like terribly far off. I'm not saying he's Ezekiel Elliott, but I think he could have a really good game. I just don't really foresee it happening. I still think that Alabama is going to be too much, um, especially if, if Jalen Waddle's back. They just they just got too much firepower. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take Alabama to cover the eight. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to ooh this one's tough. Um, I'm going to say 52-28. All right. So the over as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just an absurd number. Although those numbers, those super high numbers have hit a lot this year. Yeah. How about Clemson and Ohio State? The, dude, they had 28 points yeah. after the first quarter. Yeah. It's nuts. All right. Well, to all those who are listening, thank you for sticking around to the end of this episode, the end of this season of bald bull and gold we're not going to really have seasons probably just make the next episode the next number but uh stay tuned we'll be here talking irish football pretty regularly i think we find enough news there's february signing day might see some surprises their name will probably add more players in the transfer portal have some players leave we didn't talk about that much today other than jack Cohn. We'll have a lot more for you, so stay tuned and 